When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar with you and recording this just hours away, essentially a day and a half or so from the NFL draft. And uh, of course, I know that you all expected this, fans and listeners of the Purple Podcast, that we would bring back our friend Brandon Thorne of NDT Scouting, wrote a fantastic article on all of the offensive linemen. He has become the O-line expert of the podcast. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. Um, just excited to be here and talk about line play, and hopefully the Vikings get one of these top guys. Well, I'll tell you, you have been a valuable asset to the podcast because, A, not many of us understand offensive line play anywhere near how well you do, and, uh, B, because the Vikings have been very much focused on the offensive line over these last two years that we've been bringing you on, and I, I should give Brandon credit for those people who are more new to the Purple Podcast, last year we talked about Pat Elfline as a guy that you loved for the Minnesota Vikings, and not only did he end up getting drafted by the Vikings, but had a great first year and looks like he's going to follow in the footsteps of many other great Viking centers and be there for a really long time. Uh, but Joe Berger retired, and the Vikings now have an opening at right guard, but the door is still open for the potential of drafting a tackle and moving Mike Remmers to guard. So let me just ask you, before we move on to some of these prospects that the Vikings could take in the first or second round, your take on Remmers as a guard versus a tackle? Yeah, I I would probably lean towards tackle just because I think we've talked about this before, but I've seen him succeed at right tackle a lot more than I have at guard. I mean, that one game last year, I think it was like week 15 or so, you know, right guard, he looked good. But aside from that one game, he went over to the left side, didn't look good. Um, Just in general, I think he's more comfortable at right tackle. um, And, you know, he has more experience there. And that's definitely where I would roll with him, you know, for the foreseeable future. And I think that he's, you know, mainly because he's more comfortable there. And I think you could tell on tape. So let's get into your list then, because uh, I think that he gives you a little bit of flexibility if you want to play him 
at guard, but I agree with mm-hmm. you, especially because of where the strength of this draft is. It seems to be really focused on the guards. So I want to get into, Definitely. or guard centers, uh, I want to get into your list. You put out your top 10 and you tiered all the prospects in an incredibly detailed piece of work, which I have tweeted out on my account at Matthew Collar on Twitter. Uh, so let's just let's just get into a few of these guys and how they might fit. I will count them down with the guards specifically. And uh, I, I'm curious where you see Austin Corbett from uh, Nevada because he's kind of been listed as a guard and a center, but he played tackle at Nevada. And he's a guy that hasn't been talked about a whole lot. So maybe we could start with him. What do you see there? Yeah, so Corbett is a guy initially who caught my eye last season. Um, I was actually live scouting a game, Nevada at Colorado State, and uh, he played left tackle, of course, as you mentioned, at Nevada. And the first thing that jumped out to me when I saw him play, because I was watching him pretty much the whole game, is his hand usage was really good. I mean, advanced. Um, he, He was executing things like a snatch and trap technique where he basically comes down hard on the elbow of a rusher when his arm is engaged with him and he just kind of collapses that elbow and send guys to the ground multiple times that way who are pass rushing against him. So when I see a guy with sort of, you know, a refined, uh, refined technique with his hands at tackle, that's, that's a signal to me and a guy who's a little bit undersized that he can move inside. Cause I think hand usage is one of the things that's most important for tackles who convert inside Um, You know, being good with your hands on the inside is very important just because of how much faster things happen um, and how much faster contact happens usually just because, you know, obviously guys are much, you know, closer, um, less space. So I think his hand usage for me is my my favorite trait about him just in terms of his placement, the timing of his hands, and then the variations that he has in things that he can do, independent hand usage. Um, grip strength is really good. So once he gets inside that frame, he's really good about maintaining leverage and sustaining blocks. Um, so that, that to me, I think is the biggest thing for him. And just overall technique um, with him is very good. Um, he's not the most powerful guy, um, but he's more of a, uh, I think a fit in his own scheme. So, you know, a, probably a really good fit for the Vikings somewhere in day two. Um, I'm kind of in favor of him somewhere in the middle to the end of the second round. Um, and then, you know, he also plays a really good competitive toughness. He definitely has no problem being physical and he's very smart on the field as well in terms of handling stunts and line games and, you know, just um, correctly coming off double teams at the right time to pick up linebackers. So he's, you know, he's a heady player, I think. Um, so really hand usage, toughness, um, football IQ, and then his leadership, work ethic, and football character are renowned at the University of Nevada. He's a weight room junkie, um, you know. So he just has a lot of the kind of the, the the profile that you look for for a successful offensive lineman in general. Um, and I think he's an above average athlete on the field. So you know, he, he that's kind of what I see with him. And he's just a guy, you know, technically sound. And I. I tend to gravitate towards those kind of guys. A player like Corbett is interesting to me because the Vikings may have an opportunity to either trade down or to take a luxury pick in the first round. And I just mean luxury pick is anything that isn't an offensive lineman, anything that isn't just focused on that one need that they have. And when you look around at this draft, it seems like it goes pretty deep with these guys where Corbett is probably going to be 
like you said, a day two pick. And I, I think that that speaks to how deep this draft is and might give the Vikings a chance to take advantage of that. Yeah, that would be, that would be excellent. If you could just draft pure best player available in that first round and it doesn't necessarily have to be a lineman. I mean, there's plenty of options, I think, in the second and third round of this draft, especially on the interior. So you have Corbett ranked as your eighth out of your top 10 and uh, just counting down here, going only with the the interior for the moment. Billy Price is your next one, and, and he's one that catches a lot of Vikings fans' eyes because – well, first of all, he plays for Ohio okay. State, and uh, they had quite a bit of success drafting Pat Elfline out of Ohio State. As a center, he stepped right in and did a fantastic <clears throat> job last year, and Billy Price has a lot of the same accolades. The one thing I see with him, Brandon, is it, it seems like he can be a, a little bit uh, is out of control, the right word, just kind of like uh, ramrodding. I mean, I, I don't know um, as, as perfectly technical words as you do on, on things like this, but it seems like he can just be a, a bit of a wild man sometimes. How, what do you see with him? Yeah, I would. I think you're you're right on track there. I mean, um, when I watched his tape, you know, I, I guess if we, if we want to start with kind of the weaknesses, I think he's an average athlete, and he has kind of shorter arms. So when he gets into space, I think he's sort of maybe panics a little bit at times and gets a little wild. Like you said, his base um, doesn't always come with him. His feet don't always come with him on contact. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's why I have him in that tier four, even though he is my sixth overall offensive lineman, he is, you know, a, a tier, a couple of tiers behind, you know, Daniels and those other guys, just because I think he kind of has a more, he has a more defined ceiling um, than those other guys. And I think he's more of a high floor, relatively low ceiling type of guy, a guy that um, he's kind of like Elfline in that his, his run blocking is his strength. Um, he's a good pass blocker though. And he really, um, really good mental processing and pass protection. I mean, he has 55 straight starts to his name, you know, which is an Ohio state record, but he has a lot more experience at guard than he does center. He has mm-hmm. 25 starts at left guard, 16 at right guard, 14 at center. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, he's a good run blocker. He could be a very good run blocker at the first level, but I think he's more effective on the first level of the defense, meaning, you know, defensive linemen in terms of getting those guys moved backwards, generating movement at that first level. I think he's excellent. And I think that's really where he's going to make his money. You know, I think he has really good play strength. He plays with really good pad level and he has really good hand usage. Um, so I think he's very technically sound in that you know, inside the tackle box. Um, He was used as a puller a lot and he got out in space. Um, He could be overwhelming at the point of attack. You know, when he, when he takes precise angles, he's very good about, about engulfing linebackers and just taking them out of the play. But if you get him in too much space, um, I think that's where you see some of that limited athleticism and play speed, um, you know, come about. And I think that's kind of where he separates himself or Pat Elfline separates himself from him. I think Elfline is a better player in space, um, but Price might be a little bit stronger, um, at least coming out. Um, but I think Elfline is more of an explosive athlete, you know, if that makes sense. Um, so that's kind of the differentiation that I see with them, to, you know, with those two players. Elfline just offers you a little bit more in the screen game and stuff like that. Even though Elf, Even though Price was used in the screen game a lot, I think Elfline has better traits 
you know, that um, translate to the pro level than Price does. So he's more of a guy that I think he's going to, he's going to be outstanding on the first level of the defense. He's not going to make any mistakes really ever in terms of, you know, uh, processing. And, uh, you know, he has all the, you know, football character, work ethic type of stuff on his side as well. So I, I think he's a very safe player, but I don't think, you know, his ceiling is as high as a lot of these other guys. And we did see last year with Elfline, he is just brilliant when he gets out in space. And there were times where he was running yeah. 20, 30 yards down the field on big screen plays. I, I remember right. specifically one in Detroit where they threw a screen pass out to Stefan Diggs and Elfline was running alongside Stefan Diggs and the safety wanted absolutely no part of Pat Elfline. I mean, he went way around the other way to just chase Diggs from behind rather than uh, trying to go through Pat Elfline. So he, it was a really valuable asset for them. And also in a way, Brandon, I, this diverts a little bit from counting down your list, but when you look at Elfline's combine results, you would not have thought that he was the type of athlete that he is. I, I think that he just has this really natural feel for the game and instincts for the game and works exceptionally hard or maybe has some foot quickness that didn't really show up in any of those drills. Because when I watched him play, I saw athleticism and, and heard the coaches praise him for that, but it didn't really show up in the combine. And, and that kind of makes it a little bit, maybe challenging for teams sometimes to know how a player's athleticism is going to translate. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I really feel like I don't want to sound just so cliche, but you know, like watching the tape, I think really shows, you know, what you need to see from the player, especially if you're contextualizing the tape and looking at who he's doing it against, what's the situation, what's his responsibility on this play things like that. And, and Elfline for me as a junior, when he was playing guard, I mean, that's when his athleticism caught my eye. And I remember a pull that he had, um, I think it was against Michigan as a junior from right guard. He pulled to the left and he led up through the hole. And I mean, he looked like a great athlete on that play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, that, that really stood out to me. So, you know, and then when he went to the combine and tested how he did that, you know, I utilized the combine just as sort of a, you know, just a, a stopgap, you know, measure, you know, so, if, you know, I see somebody who has really good athleticism on tape. If he doesn't test like a good athlete, it'll make me go back to the tape and then just verify and see like, okay, yes, I do think he's a good athlete. All right. Forget what the combine says. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I operate with it, you know? So, and that's, you know, how I saw Elfline, you know, on the field, I think he, and I, you know, I think the best term to describe that is play speed. You know, he had very good play speed coming out, and that, that doesn't always equate to raw athleticism. I, I think those are two very different things. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, you know, so. Yeah. Well, moving up your list here, um, James Daniels is a guy that I right. really like and have watched quite a bit of. And the next four guys on your list, if the Vikings ended up with any one of these four, it's an A-plus home run. This is a guy that starts at right guard day one and you feel really good about. So with Daniels, uh, his arms probably go down to his feet looking at his wingspan. Uh, it reminds me of Delvin Cook. Delvin's shorter, but he has these insanely long arms that make no sense with his body. And James Daniels is the same way. And watching him a little bit of that as I was putting together a piece for the players that would fit the best with the Viking system, 
I had him as the number one best fit with running a zone blocking scheme because of his reach, and it seems like he's just got high-end intelligence and he's always blocking the right guy at the right time. It, it would, I would think that if he landed with the Vikings, he would be a perfect fit. Yeah, I think it would be a really good fit. I like him more at center. Um, you know, I think he has some questions uh, a little bit with his play strength and power. Um, you know, and at center, I, I just think center is where he's going to be his best. You know, he has two starts, I believe, at left guard in his career and the rest are at center. So he has some, you know, relative experience at guard. Um, you know, I think he could play guard and be good, but I think at center, it just takes him to another level because of the range that he has from that pivot position in the middle of the offensive line to reach landmarks at really sharp angles to each side to cut off linebackers. Um, you know, and typically a guard has a three technique or, you know, a two eye technique or something in front of him to where he's not necessarily going to have, you know, that free range, you know, that free um, path to the second level all the time. And he has to deal with a three technique a lot more. And I know at center, you know, you deal with one techniques and bigger guys as well. But if you're running outside zone and comboing, I don't know. I just, I see him more of a fit at center just because and that's partially because of what I've seen him do so well over the last couple of years at Iowa. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I do like him more at center, but he has that guard potential. Um, but like you said, I think zone blocking is his strength. I think he's the best zone run blocker in the draft. And another thing that I like about him, you know, good length, but he's also very young. He's going to be 20 years old, week one of 2018, wow. which is pretty incredible. Um, you know, he plays a really good pad level um, and he's technically refined as well. I mean, he went to Iowa. Typically, those guys are technically refined. And typically, mm -hmm. their interior offensive linemen are smaller, quicker, less athletic guys, and they get by with it because they're so refined. Daniels is really unique. And when I when I started watching him for Iowa, it was fascinating because I typically don't see um, the caliber of athlete that he is on their interior. So to see a guy like that get that sort of coaching and refinement and kind of that groundwork and the fundamentals. That's what really made me high on him. Um, you know, because I think he'll be fine. And then I thought he'll be able to transition really well with the, you know, how technically proficient he is. And I think he's a very good athlete in terms of his hip flexibility, his ability to get his hips around guys on the line of scrimmage is fantastic from the center position, like shaded players, mm -hmm. those guys are very easy for him. He can even go out from the center position and reach guys at the three technique over the outside shoulder of the guard. So when you see centers do that, I mean, that's pretty incredible. He's kind of like a Rodney Hudson type of guy, you know, who's very good in zone, very good with his hands um, in terms of using them to gain leverage on defenders and to seal guys off. Um, but, you know, you watch the Ohio State tape and he did a lot more than just seal guys off. And, you know, you know, when you're trying to reach somebody at center or any position, you're trying to work around them. But if you can't get around them, then you have to transition into a drive block and you basically take them where they want to go. He does that very well. He he makes that transition and he reads sort of leverages really well. If he can't get it all the way around, he instantly transfers into that drive. And he'll take guys to the sideline. I mean, so he he definitely has the ability to play low and, you know, win leverage and drive guys around. Um, 
but I still, I haven't seen, you know, a lot of him execute, you know, pure like gap type of stuff because Iowa doesn't really do that. So I have some questions there, but, you know, if you have a predominant zone scheme, I think that's where he fits perfectly in. And I think he's a little more scheme dependent than, you know, somebody like Frank Ragno, but um, that's why I have Ragno just a, a hair above him. Cause I think he has a little bit more versatility in that regard, but um, if you're one running a more of a pure zone scheme, Daniels is uh, an ideal fit. Well, first of all, spoiler alert. Thanks, Brandon, for ruining your own list. Um, <laughs> now, so I, I pulled the clip and people could see this at 1500ESPN.com when I was talking about or writing about the uh, best scheme fits and had Daniels is the best for the Vikings. I pulled the clip where yeah. the uh, nose tackle was shaded over his right shoulder and somehow mm-hmm. he got himself around to hit the nose tackle with his left shoulder pad and then work his way out to the linebacker and turn the linebacker the way he needed to go uh, for the, the, the run hole there. And it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's, yeah. that's a lot of things that just happened in about a second and a half from James Daniels there. So I, I do really like his fit, though, looking at some of the draft boards. It seems like there are a lot of other teams that would like him as well, and there's a chance that he could go a little bit higher than where the Vikings are. Now, the guy that's next mm-hmm. on your list. Oh, I wanted to add one more thing, too, that – the way Mike Zimmer handled the offensive line last year was that he wasn't afraid to shuffle guys around in their position to have just the most talent on the field. So he had, uh, you know, Pat Elfline at center and Nick Easton moved from center to guard because they just figured that was the best fit for what they wanted to do. And they moved on from Alex Boone, even though Boone was probably the more, uh, maybe the, the better power blocker and the more proven guard than Nick Easton, but they said that we want the best fit here. So I wouldn't even say that it's impossible that Elfline could move to guard if they needed him to, if they were going to take someone like Daniels, I I wouldn't necessarily want that because of how well Elfline played, but you mentioned that he was proficient as a guard as well. So moving up your list, this guy is, I think there are some nasty linemen in this draft. But this is guy, I think, is the nastiest of the nasty. You see him using his power, driving into people, running them into the ground, finishing blocks even beyond the whistle. Will Hernandez from UTEP has already kind of become a Viking fan favorite. So I'm curious about whether you think he fits, because when I've watched him, I haven't seen the zone running scheme. I've seen mostly power. Yeah, so Will Hernandez, um, he's a guy who predominantly when I've you know, I've watched uh, I think five tapes of him from 2017 at UTEP, including Arizona, Oklahoma, and Texas, his highest um, competition. And uh, I saw more gap type stuff, power run game, but he also did zone stuff. I mean, I saw him reach a four eye technique on the inside shoulder of the tackle a couple times. Um, so he does have that capability and I think he's a much better athlete than you might think because of his, his frame, his build and his, just his power, you know, screams like, yeah, let's get this guy in a power scheme. But UTEP pulled him a lot in pass protection. Like they ran like a play action boots and stuff where they get the quarterback outside of the hashes Mm -hmm. or, you know, near the hashes and they will pull Hernandez as sort of a lead blocker out there with the quarterback. They did that a lot. 
and you could see him just come out of his stance. He's very explosive, um, and he has really good feet in space. He doesn't look uncomfortable in space at all. So, you know, he's that's why I had him, you know, where I do, you know, you know, in that top four range of overall offensive linemen, because I did see that other aspect, you know, where he has enough athleticism to, you know, sort of fit in any scheme, although ideally you put him in a in a gap scheme. Um, but Minnesota, I think they run a lot of different stuff. I mean, they, they run inside zone, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, which is more of a vertical based you know, wanting to create vertical movement off the ball. You know, they ran power. Um, they pull guys, you know, down block and do a lot of like, you know, I think the Vikings have a pretty multiple scheme, even though it is kind of rooted in that outside zone. So I think Hernandez would be a, a fine fit there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hernandez is a guy who I loved watching on tape. I mean, his, I, I think the the most special thing about him is the way he looks on film he constantly looked um, stronger and bigger than everybody he faced, including Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was bullying these guys and, you know, he uses his shoulders in the run game to deliver jarring force at the point of attack, uses his hands really well as well. You know, he's 49 straight starts. Um, He was coached by Sean Kugler, who was a, a former NFL offensive line coach. And you could see that refined technique, some of the things that I was seeing from Hernandez, um, like a gallop technique is uh, something that off- offensive linemen use to cover ground. Um, but it it's something that I don't see a lot of um, from college guys. I saw him utilize that technique. Um, and just, he did a lot of, you know, special stuff technically that was impressive. And I could see that influence from, you know, his, his coach, Sean Kugler, who is now the interior offensive line coach of the Denver Broncos. So I, I think that that's a natural fit as well. But um, yeah, I, I think Hernandez can do it all. I mean, he, he's a guy, ideally you want in that more, more of a gap type scheme, but I think his, his technique and his feet and athleticism are probably the most underrated parts of his game. Well, he really impressed at the NFL combine, not just with uh, his 40, but the fact that he ran it at 345 pounds and uh, the way he moved around his interviews. I I like to listen to how the guys sound in their interviews and uh, nobody ever sounds great because it's the combine and you have reporters yelling, who did you visit with? Like, okay. Um, But he, he came across as a guy who is very smart and would be able to learn quickly if he was put in that type of situation. So I definitely wouldn't count it out. And I agree with you. The fact that they have a running back in Delvin Cook, who is so multi-talented himself that he has powerful elements to his game. He doesn't just have to run outside and Latavius Murray as well. Pat Shermer last year shifted on the fly to how they ran and even shifted throughout games to what they called in terms of their runs, depending on whether it was Jarek McKinnon having success or Latavius Murray. So any lineman that they have uh, won't just have to be a pure zone guy. And and Hernandez is definitely a fit. And, you know, the the one question that I get a lot on Hernandez is how the competition affected him. But when I – I mean, you know, playing with a lower level of competition. You mentioned the games he played against really good teams. The other thing is, too, and this goes for someone like Dallas Goddard, the tight end. Like, he mauled the competition. It wasn't just that he was playing well against the the lower-level teams. He was completely annihilating them. 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you have a guy at a small school, you want to see them like D two, D three, Division one, double whatever. You want to see them dominate, and then if you see them against higher competition, you want to see them look, you know, like they belong. Or you know, of course, if they dominate that, then you know that's when you say, okay, I could draft this guy in the first round or something. And that's why I think Hernandez is worth sort of that late first round pick because, you know, he dominated competition in like within his conference and stuff at UTEP, but when he went to Oklahoma, Texas, and Arizona and played, he was dominating them. So that to me is what sold me on him being worthy of sort of that late first round pick because he has all the the traits that you look for in successful line play on the interior of offensive lines. Um, But he also has that, you know, that ability to dominate, you know, that, you know, these are high, like four or five star recruits at Oklahoma and Texas on the defensive line that one Texas clip I played where he just killed that number 90 guy. That guy's six foot six or six foot seven, 285 pounds. And he just, just obliterated him. So I don't think, you know, competition is going to hold him back at all for Hernandez in his specific case. So you've got two more guys that I see as reasonable possibilities for the Vikings on your list here. Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame is not a reasonable possibility. I think he's going to go in the top 10, that he is a freak and is above everybody else. But these other two guys, Isaiah Wynn, you have at number three, and Frank Ragnow at number two, uh, Wynn had an incredibly good national championship game. At, at playing in the left tackle against Alabama is never an easy task, and he was fantastic. I, ju- I was just watching that game back again last night. There was a time where they sent a corner or a safety at him, and it almost seemed like he was personally offended that they would ever rush a DB in his way, and he drove the guy back 15 yards and jumped on him. And it's, and, and you have mentioned, yeah. and, and maybe you could break this down for me. That was me. Minka Fitzpatrick. Who's well. going to be a top pick as well. Right. Yeah. Um, you have mentioned this, that he is extremely technically sound. Uh, yes. Maybe ex- explain what you mean by that, what you see in his technique that you like so much. Right. Well, I think it starts from the ground, you know, and works its way up. So his feet, the base that he plays with is always under control. He always brings his feet with him. I never really saw him lunge or, you know, miss guys with his hands. So because his feet are always underneath him and he's always playing with a strong base of support, that allows him to more effectively use his hands. And his hands are phenomenal in terms of, you know, placing his hands on guys, sustaining contact once he gets inside their frame, creating leverage with his hands to control blocks um, and to steer guys. And then he has really good um, hip explosion as well in terms to generate that initial movement at the point of attack. And he's really good about using his hands to steer guys and he steers guys off their feet, you know, and for a guy who's not, you know, the biggest or the strongest necessarily, um, I think he wins with leverage more than anything else. And to see a guy and he plays with outstanding pad level as well. He has really good natural leverage because he's kind of a shorter guy. And that's really why I see him as being like a stud guard because he has that natural leverage that you want to see. He has phenomenal hand usage. I mean, elite um, hand usage Um, and he could play tackle in a pinch. You know, he's the type of guy who, you know, if your left tackle goes down, put Isaiah Wynn there. But if not, I mean, put him at left guard and just, 
and just go because I think he's a plug and play guy there. I think he was my personal favorite guy to watch um, on tape this year. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Alabama. He was good in every game. I mean, I, I watched seven or eight games of his and every single game was good. Um, the Mississippi state game, he was dominant, um, you know, and a handful of others as well. So my biggest question mark though, is just, I don't think he has, you know, very good or elite strength or power. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's more of an above average in that category, but you know, like with Elfline, I think Elfline's an above average, you know, in that play strength, um, you know, maybe, you know, he has a chance to get a little bit better if he plays with outstanding leverage. You know, I think that that's part of strength. Um, so, you know, I, I think he'll be fine. I mean, you know, he's not like Nelson or Ragno in terms of, you know, the movement he can generate, you know, at the point of attack, but he doesn't need to be. He's so technically sound that I just, you know, he, he's a very, very safe pick in my opinion and somebody with a lot of versatility who you could play in multiple spots. So, yeah, Wynn's one of my favorite guys in the draft. I'm going to make a basketball comparison here. When I see a really good defender in basketball, you see the guy with the ball trying to cross him over, trying to go one way, trying to go the other way, and you just never see a, a jumpy reaction from a great basketball defender. That's a, yeah, it's it, good. It feels the same way with Win, where almost yep. every one of these guys, there's at some point where they jump forward, lunge forward, just like a natural reaction they can't control. But Wynn seems like he is extremely calm when he's playing. And after seeing his interview with the draft, he comes across that way, too. Just a guy who's, who's very calm and very relaxed, but also nasty when, uh, when things get going, especially in that yeah. national championship game. Um, now, Ragnow is yeah, a, uh, he's a Minnesota guy, so he has been known here. But it feels like recently we've just started to get draft buzz on him, and that's a little odd or surprising to me since there have been some people that have been on him for quite some time. It's not like he played at a small college or anything like that. He tested really well at the combine and now it seems like people are finally giving him the credit and there's a chance that he might end up going in the first round. I was watching him play right guard last night against uh, Alabama and you are correct in the fact that this man can move, but it seems like he is the the complete package and could be that at center or guard. Yeah, that's why I have him just a tick above win. And, you know, I kind of wanted to be a little bit bold with that and put him at number two overall as my, my number two offensive lineman um, because I think his ceiling is the highest aside from Nelson in the draft um, in, in terms of what he can be. Um, so I'll just start with the thing that I'm probably most concerned about. And really the only thing I'm only concerned about with him is he gets over, he tends to get over aggressive and he really tries to throw himself into blocks at times and he doesn't always bring his feet. So that causes him to fall off some blocks sometimes. Um, I definitely did see that on tape, but that's something that I'm not too concerned about. That's very correctable. And when I, the more tape I watched, the more comfortable I became with it because I watched tapes like, you know, the Alabama tape was probably, you know, you know, Quentin Nelson aside, probably the most impressive tape that I saw out of any offensive line prospect in the entire draft, in my opinion, just because of the competition that for me, level of competition is huge. Yeah. So every time I watch an offensive lineman, I always try to study the guy that he's going against for a couple snaps before I really even look at the offensive lineman. And, you know, if it's a big name guy, then, you know, I'd I kind of know already, but I, I do like to 
get a feel for their opponent and sort of their skill level, what they're doing, you know, they're all, they kind of evaluate them a little bit. So the Alabama tape, I mean, he's going against Deron Payne, who is a powerful, strong dude, and he was moving him all over the place. He was getting to the second level against Rashawn Evans, who is an explosive physical dude. And he, that one play that I posted where he fell to his knees, maintained, maintained contact while he was on his knees with Rashawn Evans, got up and then drove him to the sideline. That play was incredible. Um, and then he's going against a guy named uh, Raquan Davis, who's six foot seven, three Oh six, probably has 34, 35 inch arms. I mean, he's a freak of nature, true sophomore. He's probably going to be one of the best offensive or defensive linemen to ever come out of Alabama. And he was handling him as well in that game. So, I mean, I, that, that tape was pretty incredible, but then I watched TCU and the TCU game, he was used very similarly to how Pat, Pat, excuse me, Pat Elfline was used last year for the Vikings in terms of getting out in space. He made a block, I think, 30, 30 yards downfield on a linebacker hmm. where he set him up perfectly, took a great angle, great fit, and took him out of the play. Um, so he could pull and get down the field and you know line up targets. And to, to be able to transition from that to driving Deron Payne and Raekwon Davis off the ball, um, you know, that, that was enough for me, you know, to sell me. And then I watched a few of his other tapes as well. And I, I saw a lot of the same things, the Texas A&M tape. He was dominant, um, at the point of attack. He reminded me a lot of Travis Frederick, man. And I mean, I don't say that lightly. I mean, he, but stylistically his movement patterns, he was eerily similar to Travis Frederick, in my opinion, in terms of just yeah, how he plays the game. I mean, I think he can be that type of player at the next level if he just cleans up a little bit of what he does technically and just being over aggressive but I think he could do everything he was good in pass protection as well had a really good anchor to stop power um you know he he was recognizing you know complex blitzes and picking up the right guy um so you know I don't think he's limited by scheme I think he could and the thing about him is I think he could probably be equally effective at right guard and center so, you know, that's rare as well. Um, I think he's probably the, the ideal fit for the Vikings just because I saw him dominate a right guard, and I haven't seen any of these other guys do that at right guard specifically. So um, I think he's a great fit, and that's, that's why I put him as my number two guy, though. I think his ceiling is just a little bit higher than the other guys. It feels to me like the Vikings would go a different direction if these guys were off the board, if Ragnow and Isaiah Wynn were off the board, especially, but Daniels and maybe Hernandez as well, if they get drafted, and I could definitely see that in the 20s somewhere, if there's a run on offensive linemen, then the Vikings might say, ah, okay, all right, well, there's a bit of a drop off there, so we're going to wait and we're going to wait for the second round and maybe we'll trade up in the second round if we have to. But there are some guys that I, I'm not sure where they're going to go that I want to ask you about, Brandon. And, and the, yeah. the, the number one is probably Connor Williams for me. Where I just don't have a great feel for – I've seen him mocked as high as the middle of the first round as a tackle and as low as the bottom of the second round as a guard. I mean, where should we have a feel on Connor Williams? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean – you know, that's why I put him in my, you know, tier three, um, which is a label for high variance prospects with very good traits. I think his traits 
um, athletic ability, um, square power, um, and just power in general and competitive toughness. They jump off the film, um, and that's it's very easy to identify with him, especially in the run game. Um, the ability to create leverage with his hands and really, um, I, I think he's good at sensing guys uh, when guys are off platform and a little bit off balance. He takes advantage of that really well in the run game and buries guys, you know, a lot on film. Um, but then 2017, I saw a little bit of that, but, you know, he had a knee injury, uh, missed seven games. And then the five games he did play, he was underwhelming in, in my opinion. Um, and then technically coming out of his past set, he has a false step that causes that, that negates much of his athleticism and causes him to be, you know, I think discombobulated a lot of the time. And, you know, he can recover because he's athletic, but in the NFL, I think that that's a problem. Um, it could be fixed, you know, but it's not a guarantee. And I just think his ceiling is higher on the inside um, at guard. Um, I think he could be pretty special there. Um, I'm not really sure where I would be comfortable taking him, probably in the second round, um, just because of the variance in his tape. But, you know, he's a guy who, you know, I think he, he would be very easy for a team to fall in love with those traits that I mentioned because they're not easy to find. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of coaches think, yeah, we can just, you know, kind of refine him and coach him up and he'll be great. And I, you know, that's how coaches think. And I mm -hmm. think so. You So I think, you know, like you said, you could see him going in the middle to the end of the first round. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Or you could see him going the second round. I'm, I tend to, you know, lean more towards that range. Um, but, you know, it's a good question. I, I don't have a great answer to that in terms of where he will go. Um, but I think the range that you mentioned is good. Another thing about him, you know, he had three offensive coordinators in three seasons. Mm. Um, so he never really got to, I think, establish, you know, a, a, a groundwork of fundamentals and technique. I think that that changed a little bit for him each year. Um, so I think that that would be important for him at the NFL level. If he can, you know, go somewhere where he can establish that firm ground, you know, in technique and fundamentals. And I, you know, that those typically don't change drastically with coaching changes, but there is some differences. And somebody who does need some help cleaning things up as a pass protector, I think it would be ideal for him to go somewhere with a stable, you know, um, high-quality um, offensive line coach that isn't going anywhere, that has a track record of development. Whenever I have, like, a Tier 3 guy, I think it becomes very – even more important than – all, you know, the, the other prospects that aren't as high variance to go somewhere with the offensive line coach mm -hmm. and the system and a culture and everything that is friendly to offensive linemen. And I think if you if you put him somewhere like that, you can have a guy who's, you know, Pro Bowl caliber type of guy. So Seattle, right? Um, the exact opposite. Of Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Tom Cable's not there, so, you know, I don't know. We'll see what Seattle does now. Oh, poor Russell Wilson. Um <laughs> So as we get to kind of the end of your, your list, because you have Quentin Nelson number one here, I, I'm curious if there's a sleeper yeah. for the Vikings that you see. And, and it, it's hard for me with this draft because there are so many decent prospects. It's hard to pin down it's going to be this guy or it's going to be that guy. It's not like tight end where there are three, maybe four guys that it could be and that's it. And one guy stands pretty far out above the others. In my mind, this is like there's eight, nine, ten that they could have their eye on. And it's hard to say inside that room. 
whether they like this guy's traits a little more than that guy or this guy's fit. And also they have a new offensive coordinator. So that makes it even harder to pin it down than it would have been if it was Pat Shermer. Is there another guy on the list that you see, Hey, this could be a fit for the Vikings and I will tell you mine first. And then you could tell me yours. Brian O'Neill from Pitt is my guy because he is an athletic freak. Like compared to the rest of the offensive linemen, one of the best athletes out there. And I know that his tape is not perfect because I watched a couple of games of his, but man, when he gets on the move, this guy is fast and that tends to translate pretty well to the NFL when you're that good of an athlete at tackle. So that's my guy that I think second round, maybe they believe that that's where they want to solve that issue. Who's your guy? Yeah, my guy would probably be Wyatt Teller, um, guard from Virginia Tech. He plays left guard. He has 43 career starts, and they're all at left guard. Um, but he measured in at 6'4", 314 at the combine. He has long arms, 34-inch arms. Um, that stood out to me. Um, he's another guy who was much better in 2016 than 2017. I've heard some things off the field that could be the reason for that, that are correctable. So we'll see. Um, I actually mentioned him in my tier six in that article. He was the second guy on that list. Um, I think he has good linear explosiveness at the point of attack. He can really drive guys off the ball. He's a very good puller. Um, and he, you know, like I mentioned, a very good arm length as well. He has an impressive build. He's very physical, competitive toughness, nasty. Um, you know, it's just, he was more of that in 2016 than 2017. So I, that's kind of why I have him a little bit down, but he's definitely a guy that I would look at in terms that somebody that the Vikings, I think would definitely have interest in because he, you know, he has the build. I think that they want the frame long arms. He has extensive ex- experience as a puller and in space. Um, and he's explosive. So I think Wyatt Teller is somebody that you can look at maybe on, you know, the beginning of day three as somebody who, you know, could actually be, I think a starting guard in the league. Brandon, I say this every single time, but I learn a lot from you when we talk, and I hope our Purple Podcast listeners do as well. And you uh, have, I think, uh, a unique knowledge of this that very, very few people have. And what I love about this market and Minnesota Vikings fans is that they appreciate a darn good offensive lineman. I don't know that that's the same for every single fan base, but this... Market has had a lot of great offensive linemen that they have uh, appreciation for throughout the years. And uh, you were money with Pat Alfine last year, so we will see how it goes this time around. I uh, I know you're a busy guy right before the draft, but I appreciate you taking all of this time to break it all down. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me on, and it was a pleasure. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about offensive linemen, especially with Vikings fans. You know, I, I appreciate how much they appreciate the position and you know, it's just, it's fun when you guys get a good offensive lineman because then we could talk about them. Yes, exactly. And and we will be uh, back breaking down and even more in detail, whoever they do take uh, in the draft here. So follow Brandon on Twitter at Veteran Scout. And if you want to check out his top 10 list along with tier breakdowns and how many words did you say this is? This is like 5,000 words you wrote. Yeah, it's a lot. You're I mean, a maniac. 
I know, I am. But but it's great. I mean, there's all sorts of hours and hours and hours of time spent watching films. So you've got clips and you've got explanations. It's at uh, ndtscouting.com. Also, I tweeted that out. So make sure you check it out and make sure you follow Brandon as well if you want to learn something on a daily basis about offensive line play. So thank you, Brandon, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.